Hi everyone, welcome back to At The Source, a podcast full of food stories. I'm your host, Alex Ryder. We've had guests calling in from the USA and Belgium and all over the UK, but today's guest is really far away. Rob Fletcher is joining us from Zimbabwe. He's the co-founder of Dr. Trouble Chili Sauces, which are made on his family farm in the upper Zambezi Valley, to a recipe which belonged to his great-grandfather and is actually over 120 years old. But these sauces are powerful in more than just flavor. They directly help rural communities in Zimbabwe. In this episode, Rob will tell us more about how they've created this unique and socially responsible business. Welcome, Rob. Thank you for joining me this evening. Thanks, Alex. It's a it's a pleasure to be to be here tonight and speaking to you. Whilst I love to record face to face, and that's how this podcast started. I think one of the few benefits or plus sides of this pandemic has been that I've been able to record remotely. And I just want you to tell the listeners where you are and and what time it is because it's quite exciting, I think. So I think remote is the is the right word for it. Um, Um, I'm basically 120 kilometers or so south of the Zambezi River. The Zambezi Valley has an escarpment and I'm I'm in the foothills of that escarpment. So I'm very isolated, possibly the most isolated you can be. Wow. So quite far away from me in uh, in suburban Bristol in the UK then. <laughs> Very different, extremely different. Um, I spent time in the UK um, living and working after school. So... I, it's a, it, I know the difference. I mean, apart from the weather, it's a very different existence. It's isolated. We, we don't have a lot of people around us. And it's really off the beaten track. It's at the edge of the communications. Um, I think we've been having such, uh, we have such a problem with communications. Yeah, we, we, we end up using a satellite connection. So there's no Netflix or anything like that where we live. Oh, my goodness. No Netflix. Can you imagine? I don't know how I'd cope with that. <laughs> but you do have the internet, which means that we're able to record this conversation. And I just, I'm absolutely thrilled to have have you from so far away uh, joining me this evening. So yeah, it's absolutely fab. Thank you. That pleasure. And obviously, we're here to talk about your your company, your your chili sauces, Doctor Trouble. So I think we may as well get started at, at the very beginning. So. Although Dr. Trouble has been around for a long time, you only recently launched in the UK. So how, how did that come about? Um, well, the chili sauce has been in the family for many years. And so it's been something that across a few generations has 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 been made. So it hasn't been a commercial thing, which it's been generally made by the family once a year with the chili harvest and shared with friends. Um, it has its dates um, back in the 1890s where my great-grandfather was a surveyor and he did some of the first maps of Matabili land. And the um, recipe was found scrawled in an old diary. So so it's really a, a family affair. Uh, and I was encouraged often by friends that I should try and sell it. And then one year we decided to. So you mentioned that it was something that was made kind of annually off the back of your chili harvest. Is that from from the farm where you are now? Yeah. So um, we farm a number of crops here, and um, we w- always have had a patch of chilies in the vegetable garden here. 
And so when we first started making it, we weren't growing chilies. Um, it was just the chilies that we planted ourselves. And now we're at the stage where we are outsourcing growing and we buy um, <clears throat> our chilies in from small scalers who are in the villages. So it's a quite a, it became quite a community involved project. I like the fact that you said that you had friends and family who presumably were trying the sauce and, and had said to you, you know, this should be, you should sell this. And then you mentioned that you'd found this, this recipe scrawled in an old diary. So how long did it take you to think, right, okay, this does need to be a business. This does need to, this has roots. I, I started making it with my father for about 15 years. And then it, uh, my father passed away and it was maybe another two years after that. So it was probably 17 years that we'd been making it. Um, and it was only in the last seven years that we, we started to sell it. And it started off very typically with a, a label printed on the home computer and a hundred bottles over Chris, over Christmas. Mm-hmm. Made at home was that? Absolutely. That was just made in our kitchen. And the hundred, hundred bottles sold, all sold, which was nice. And I, I think the turning point where we started to think about it really seriously was we got a call from a, a person in America who wanted, he had by chance been in the country over Christmas and he'd taken a bottle and he said he wanted a thousand liters to be, wow. to be exported to California. And so a conversation ensued. And I think as a result of that conversation, you know, we've always believed in the flavor ourselves. And I think that was just the, I think that was just the encouragement we needed. That's amazing that someone in in California had had tried the sauce and then obviously decided that they just couldn't live without it. So random. So random. Yeah. Do you know how they found you? Um, They actually had a battle finding us because the, the label had been printed on the home printer. So he had actually been looking for us for a few weeks, but it's a small town. So, wow. You know, so it's not hard to find somebody. It's fantastic. He obviously really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's a funny, just a funny thing. You know, you, uh, it, it sort of stopped, it's made us stop and think. And so why the UK? Well, the UK is a very natural market for where we are. It's, uh, Zimbabwe was, a, was a, a British colony at one time. And so there are strong ties between the two countries and a well-established trade route. And before we started exporting anything, we, we spent four or five years building the product and improving the product in, in locally. And I think that's what really counts for us is that the local market is, is, is our primary market because that's where we live. And Zimbabwe has a big tourism industry or did uh, without the COVID. Um, and we've got the Victoria Falls here, which attracts an enormous amount of people every year. And so we found that our product was being used in a lot of the safari camps and and we started getting e- emails from people in America and people in Germany and people in the UK, which I also thought was unusual that uh, a tourist would pass through a place and, and taste something and then make the effort to go and write and ask where they could get it. And so the UK is um, a, a, a base. My, I have a partner um, in the, who does, does the distribution, and he he's he's an immigrant into Ireland from from Zimbabwe. So it's um, really the between the two of us. It's it's uh, it's been Albi who's pushed pushed the 
the product so far. It's funny that you said that you found it quite strange that someone might pass through on their holidays and search for that that flavor, that sauce that they tried. But that's exactly the kind of thing that I do. I definitely explore cultures and different countries through their food and always try and bring something home with me. So I like the idea that someone might have been visiting the falls or on safari, tried this sauce, then got home and thought, yeah, I need a bottle of that in my fridge. I like it. Yeah, so cool. So cool. Um, and, uh, you know, I think um, it, that's, that's, it really does spur us on when people like that write to us. It's, it's definitely when you have ups and downs in the business, those kind of messages from people from somewhere so far away bolster your confidence. Mm, absolutely. So before I ask you some questions about the, the sauce itself and how it's made, can you tell the listeners, because I've tried it and it's delicious, but I want you to explain to the listeners uh, what it is. So it's a it's a chili sauce and you have two flavors, but what are the ingredients? What makes it unique to, to, to you, to your brand? One of the beauties of it um, is that it's incredibly simple uh, in essence because it's it's basically a it's it's a, a chili infusion into lemon juice, um, which then has a a curing time in the sun, uh, which lasts between sixty and hundred days. So it's got a very simple set of ingredients, but a very um, slow, rather complex um, production, and so. I think that that flavor being so simple as it is, um, you know, lemon juice goes with so many different food groups and across all cultures. Um, so I think that's been the, that's the real strength of the product is, is its simplicity. Um, the ingredients are all locally sourced. Every five or 10 kilometers, there's a small village in the bush and every single uh, village has a lemon tree. The lemons are very seldom used. They basically in the culture they're used in, uh, if you've got flu or something like that, a lemon tea. So a lot of lemons go to waste um, at each village. And so we the, we collect our lemons from these villages, which has provided a, a strong boost into the local community. They get delivered often to the processing unit um, drawn by a, a, an ox wagon, a cow, two cows pulling a cart. Um, and we buy them ton by ton. So I think the key of our product is, is is our lemon juice. Is we have different seasons. We have um, droughts, and we have like this season. It's almost a monsoon, and you get very different characters of lemons because the lemons are not fertilized. Um, uh, they're basically organic organic lemons uh, in in the wild, um, and so our primary ingredient differs from year to year. I think is also a unique thing is is we're not trying to stick to a formula to get a certain flavor. We are using our locally sourced products and we are creating something which is essentially the same, but it's going to be different every single year. We, we want, you know, I wanted something which reflects the climate and reflects the conditions of where the produce comes from. Um, so that's why it's always enjoyable making it. And the recipe itself is 125 years old, I think you said. Has the process changed much, especially, you know, from going from making it with your father in your kitchen to bottling and selling it in a commercial way? 
Has has the process changed? We've stuck pretty closely to the original recipe. The original recipe was it was incredibly simple. It was uh, it was basically chilies, lemon juice, salt, and some spices. So we've stuck to that. But it's it, the original recipe had a very very high salt content, um, and that was because it was made in the days when there was that was your preservative. And so we've we've definitely reduced the salt from the original recipe to make it a more healthy product. And our bottling process and our pasteurization allows us to do that now, which in the early days when we first started making it, we, we weren't hot filling. And so salt was the preservative. But apart from that, the product is a, is a thicker product than the original recipe because we, we puree our chilies by processor. So you have a finer particle size, which at least gives you a bit more thickness to the sauce. But more or less, it's basically the same recipe. Fantastic. It's absolutely brilliant. So aside from selling your sauces, and this is something that you've already touched on, I think the thing that really impressed me when I was looking on your website was the fact that your business model does go beyond we make a sauce, we sell a sauce, we make some money. Because one of your core values is that you do help your local communities. And you you touched on on that already, that you, you buy the lemons from them. But can you perhaps tell us more about those communities and and the people that you're supporting? Yeah, so you know, it's it's a Zimbabwe is an in a terribly impoverished country. Um, countries under sanctions from the US and uh, the West, and those those definitely have had an effect on on the conditions here. It's um, Zimbabwe's been in a terrible decline for a long time. So the people who are living uh, in the rural areas are basically living pretty much as they've lived for hundreds of years. They are subsistence farmers and they keep some cattle um, and they're very, very susceptible to droughts. Um, so it's a very, very tough existence out here. And I, it is not possible to, to be an oasis in the desert. Um, you can't live amongst a community which is struggling like that without without helping and you need the community it's it's how things work here you can't um you can't do anything here without your neighbors no matter who they are and so you're buying the lemons from them but you say aside from that it's mostly subsistence farmers so that means that they're growing what they need to feed their own families and communities is that am i understanding that right yeah, that's right. So you have they, they have village clusters um, five or ten kilometers apart, um, and each each village is more or less subsistence. They grow maize predominantly to feed themselves, and the hospitals are very long way to go for anybody. Um, and the medical system, there's you know the ambulances are not are not working. Um, so it's a very tough existence uh, with faltering electricity uh, in some places, but basically most of the places are totally off the grid. It's just, it's, it's such a different story being here in the UK and with the majority of my listeners also being here in the UK. It's, it's really fascinating to hear something that is just so different to the, the usual stories that I have with with producers of products here and actually in the kind of Western world as a whole. But I think one of the things that is really nice is that your support goes beyond 
trading ingredients with the locals. I read that you run something called the Little Peppers Project and also work with anti-poaching teams. Can you tell us a bit more about both of those? Yes, so the the, the Little Peppers Project um, is basically a, uh, with the poverty here, paying of school fees in the rural areas has become a real burden. And so a lot of kids started dropping out, dropping out of school um, including uh, kids who who live here, or who are resident on the on the farm, um, there's an orphan project nearby which has a has a, a similar problem. So we we're up to now. I think it is 150 kids we pay uh, school fees and provide the stationery for annually, um, and that's a percentage of the sales we take and push back straight to the community. Um, and it's it's been immensely popular. It's just, I do wish we could do do more than that. I guess that's the way out of poverty for a lot of people across the world is, is education. And if education is the one thing that you can't afford, then how, how are you going to be able to, to lift yourself up and, and your family around you? So important. It's always so interesting to me when I look at People here, uh, education is a thing of great pride. Every single child wants to be in school. There is without fail. It's a real, um, it's a really, really deep and important thing to, uh, a, a great source of pride. And so if you compare that to the the Western world, it's, it's a very different situation. Um, the children don't have the same... The same. Uh, I, I think that there's so much distraction in their lives from everything else, from the screens and the the internet and everything else. And I think um, I think there's a huge. It's it's a really interesting divide. You know, kids here are are distraught if they can't attend school. Just shows how much we we take for granted, really. And I think with um, COVID as well, with the strain that we've had on the NHS, and we get a lot of people complaining about the schools being closed or the NHS having long waiting times. But actually, aren't we fortunate that we have those things here for free as well? That's the the key point, really. I mean, I mean it's yeah, amazing. It's exactly why it's when, when you have when you have everything you I think you don't realize what it's like to not have that. Definitely. The other thing that that you're working on is with anti-poaching teams, which again is something that's completely alien to us here in the UK, but is is a problem there. So, what? How do you get involved with that? So, um, we have we have for for years run run an anti-poaching team locally. Uh, there's a, an abundance of wildlife here, and the the wildlife is is under has become, has come under serious threat with, with with obviously with with people being hungry and so it, it, it's really about putting security and and then training people the value of having having the wildlife around um something which we're just about to launch uh in the uk in the next couple of weeks is a a product which is linked with an organization called the international anti-poaching foundation which is an amazing thing um um, these guys basically they go into countries and they train and, and set up community-led and driven anti-poaching units. So they will they will come into an area where there's where there's uh, friction between an, animals and, and humans, and 
And I think one of the most unique things about them is, is they have a, a group of rangers called the Akashinga. Um, Akashinga means the brave ones. And they've gone into villages and they've looked for women. And it's a very um, – a, a woman does not have the same rights uh, here as you would have in the Western world. Um, and they seek out disadvantaged women, divorced women from each village. And they train – I think I'm sure it's the world's only all-female anti, anti-poaching ranger – and it's just been uh, such a successful story, and I thought such a wonderful story that we've we are we've decided that we're going to launch a product where where we'll be donating to the organisation. So we've got a especially gift package, limited edition uh, source product, which we will be dropping in the next few weeks. Well, I'll definitely share that on the show notes. And I'm sure that you'll be having that out on your Instagram and your Twitter as well. So we can make sure that we share that. I absolutely love the sound of that. And just, just quickly, um, question I do have is that you mentioned at the start of, of this section that poaching is, is due to hunger. I think again, from a Western perspective, when you think of poaching, it's it's people poaching for furs, for for tusks, things like that. But it, you're saying that actually, in some cases, people are chasing down the wildlife to eat. Well, absolutely, they they they're hungry and they they want to eat meat. It's it's a it's a it's it's not always about the the rhino horn. Um, or, or the hides or anything like that. It's it's antelope, which are being predominantly hunted. And people are hungry. They, It's very, it's very hard to point a finger of blame. But the simple fact is, is that it's not, it's not the solution to the problem. That's really tricky, isn't it? Because you need to have that harmonious relationship between the wildlife and the people. But by telling people that they can't hunt the wildlife doesn't automatically give them an alternative to put on their plates so that is an incredibly difficult situation it is it's a it's a it's a very it's a you know it's a it's a it's a it's a moral issue it's a moral problem and so that's why we've all of our our, our, we give as much of our business as we can to the local community to give them other options to give them another income and that's really the answer to the problem at the end of the day is 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 to raise is to raise people out of poverty so there is food available but it's about affording to buy it sorry i appreciate i'm asking you a lot of questions on this that's okay if you know if you're a subsistence farmer you you know you get you plant a maize crop every year and if there's a drought you don't have there's no irrigation um you're totally dependent on the weather um, and then you have a drought for three years in a row. People people become hungry. There's, they don't have money in their pockets because they've got nothing to sell. Uh, and that's when you get pressure onto the natural resources because you can't really blame people for for then going into businesses of wood, you know, of wood cutting and selling wood using the natural resources at hand. But there are too many people, so the solutions have to be found to. Try and get a balance between, and and put a buffer between people and the animals, um, and that's why uh, the guys at the guys at Akashinga have have really nailed it on the head because they they're not coming into an area as people in uniforms 
telling everybody what to do. They are taking people from within the community um, who become game wardens, if you like, and and provide a buffer between people who know them. Mm. It just sounds like a fantastic um, thing that you that they're doing, and that you're going to be supporting them. It's a very clever project, yeah. The, the product that you're bringing out, is that a new flavor? So it's, it's, our, it's, it's a limited edition of our, our current flavors. Um, it's, um, it's, kept for, it's, it's cured for longer than normal. So somewhat of a little special run that we, we did for the project. And, um, I think there's only 10,000 of them available so it's a quite an exclusive little run of chili sauce and every uh, tube gets a donation of of one dollar fifty to the organization Fab. that sounds great so i have a bottle each of both of your sauces so the oak smoked chili and the african lemon chili do you have a favorite of the two I like the oak. Which which do you which do you prefer the oak? No, I like the African lemon. I like the the lemon. Okay. <laughs> I think they're both great, but yeah. Okay. I'm so glad you said that because the I feel the lemon's been overlooked in the UK, but our oak has been selling has been selling more than the lemon and I think I think um people need to really try the lemon. It's it's it says hot, but it's not that hot. Uh you know, we don't I have no, the original recipe and the recipe I make now was not about burning your mouth. Um, so I try and make, uh, yeah, I'm not interested in, in, in trying to be the hottest chili in the world, but um, it's, uh, it's to complement the meal, I think, is the, is the key. Mm, mm. It's surprising, actually, that the ingredients list is quite simple, but the flavor is quite complex. And personally, I really love the fact that it is quite citric. You know, it's got that that lemon tang, which I think can be missing from a lot of chili sauces. And believe me, my fridge is packed full of condiments and I have loads of chili sauces. I just I just put it on everything and I I find that they are actually quite unique. I can't find another one on the market which is all lemon juice. Um, I've been and I look at a lot of and eat a lot of chili sauces, but I think I think that's really where our power comes from is the fact that we freshly squeeze lemon juice and I think in our one to five mil bottle there's about four lemons of juice in there. Wow. And we don't use the vinegar. And I think the base of all the hot sauce industry is vinegar. Um, so I think that's really what sets us apart is we are quite a, a fresh flavor. That's it. It is. It's quite fresh. So, so far I've, I've had, I've had both of them on rice, actually on cheese, because this is really terrible. But sometimes if I'm hungry, I'll have a, a lump of cheese with a blob of something on it. And I've, I've had, I've had them that way. That's a good, good snack. <laughs> Um, yesterday I marinated some chicken legs in the, the lemon chili and roasted them and then shredded the meat today and had it in, in a salad wrap for lunch with more of the sauce. And that was really tasty. But what else could, could I do with the sauces? How, how do you eat them? So I like to have the oak smoked with the full English breakfast. Um, um, I think it goes really well with egg, um, any kind of egg. Well, that's a good idea. Because of the smokiness and you're eating bacon. And so it's, that's my favorite is at breakfast. Um, and then the lemon chili, I, you know, if I have a soup, in the winter, I like to put some dots 
of the lemon chili around the top of the soup. Um, and that gives you a bite, a little tang if you want a pumpkin soup or something. To be honest, I, I'm, uh, I, I make a, I make a, it has to, I have to like it. So I eat a lot of it. Um, and I've always, uh, uh, you know, I've, I've always catered to my, to my taste. Um, and so I test every single batch. Um, every day when I have breakfast, there's a little sample from the days before production. So I have, my table does look a little bit like a laboratory of different chili sauce bottles. <laughs> That's great though, that you're so in touch with, with your product. Um, something that I was wondering, given that the recipe is, is so old is, is there a culture in Zimbabwe of, of eating chili sauce or having this kind of condiment because you mentioned earlier that you you haven't come across any others that have lemon juice is that something that's specifically unique to your family recipe or is it unique to the area or i think so i think the closest i've i've seen is in mozambique has a they have a chili called they have a chili sauce which is made with african bird's eye chilies which is often called piri piri, but um, in Mozambique, it's often there's a, a famous one made by Dona Ana, and that is a they use a lot of lime juice um, and a very very hot chili that gets mixed with it, and that's the only uh, source I've seen out there that has a just a pure fruit juice base, you know, a pure citric base. Mm. Um, but there's a chili culture, um, you know, there's there's um, the African bird's eye chili is grown wild, widely across the, the country. Um, and Africans like it hot, you know. Um, uh, the guys who do eat chili uh, generally go for a, an extremely hot chili, chili paste or uh, chili mixed with oil and some salt, um, you know, roughly chopped. And it's on the side of the roads, you know, you, know, you have vendors on the side of the road selling selling uh, maize cobs which are freshly roasted um, and you always offered some chili there if you go and stop and mm. buy you know it's one of the that sounds good the add-ons that go with it i think southern africa has something to give to the world you know there's the first big flavor i think which has made it um is nando's um i think nando's has done a wonderful service to to Africa because, you know, traditionally you've got your Caribbean chili, you've got your Mexican. There's been countries which are parts of the world which are traditionally known for, for chili sauces and there's quite a sort of a gap on, on, on Africa where there are some wonderful flavors and, and chili sauces coming out of Africa. So I think Nando's has done a great job of putting a spotlight and the market is now starting to think about Africa as, as a flavor. Um, as having its own flavor of chili. I don't think people realize that Nando's is, is from South Africa. I, I knew that, but obviously the, the kind of the decor and the, the style when you're inside, it makes you think that it's almost like South American or, or something, or is it Portuguese? I can't remember what the story is. Yeah, it's actually, it's, it's Portuguese. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's a Portuguese... You know, um, Mozambique uh, is a Mozambican country. They speak Portuguese. Um, oh, okay. And and there's 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 a link with uh, Portugal and 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 Africa. 
Um, so the language you see on the walls and Nando's and things is it's kind of like a, a Mozambican a Mozambican take on on fast food. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, strange. Not many people realize that. Something that I've spoken to with other guests on the podcast is is how and actually in in a quite recent episode with. Salia Mahmoud Ahmed, who was a UK MasterChef winner a few years ago, is how food tra- has travelled through history and how flavours pick up and change and, and morph across time and also the world. So the idea that perhaps the Portuguese came to Mozambique and brought some form of I don't know whether it was the chicken or some the flavours that go into Piri Piri and then and then Mozambique or South Africa or different countries around Africa have have merged that with their own ingredients and created this thing that has now passed back across to Europe. And it's it's absolutely fascinating. I I love that that side of history. Yeah, you know, it's um, there's uh, it's there's a wonderful um, mix of cultures and cuisines across Africa. You know, if you if you go up into North Africa, you get an African cross Arab style foods and and um recipes and as you come down the coast you you get to mozambique and it's all uh, a you know a portuguese menus and um a lot of traditional portuguese ways of cooking seafood and 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 the like uh, you get down into south africa and then you've got an indian influence um around uh, natal and durban with uh, uh, a large indian population from for, for hundreds of years so there's a big curry culture and uh, you know dishes unique totally to you know an african take on on indian food so it's um it's it's a it's a, a fascinating place to to eat around and largely most people don't really realize it what kind of dishes are typical of zimbabwean food so um the staple here is basically a ground cornmeal which is cooked up into a sort of a starchy it's called sadza and that is uh, that that's what the country runs on that's the traditional food much loved um and it, and it, a, a tasty dish I, I i enjoy it i prefer it to a mashed potato but it packs a, a big carbo- carbohydrate um boost um and that's where people get their energy from. There's uh, there's another wonderful um, flavor to the Shona people is they often use um, peanut butter or or peanuts um, when they cook. For example, your spinach will be cooked in a peanut sauce. Um, so I've, I've always liked the use of their of of their various peanut dishes. Um, otherwise, the meats the the, the it's a very simple menu, you know. It's um, and it's it's your fish and beef are the pro- you know predominant side dishes. There's wonderful stews that are made, um, tomato-based stews. So there's good eating in the local the local community. Um, a good cuisine, mm. very um, very healthy. Perfect for this sauce as well. Sounds like yeah, nice and simple. <laughs> so just bringing it back to the UK, where can my listeners buy Doctor Trouble sauces? So we are available um, at drtroublesource.co.uk. Um, we're also available on Amazon UK. Um, 
And we've got about 40, 50 other uh, outlets across the country. Fantastic. So aside from the the limited edition source that that is coming out within the next few weeks and may well be out at the point that this podcast goes live, what's next? What's what's coming up for Dr. Trouble? So we've actually tomorrow doing my second production run on on a a new barbecue sauce, which has been an I've been playing around for a couple of years with, um, and that's really fun to just be starting on something new. Uh, we've had just sold our first production run and locally, and it, it seems to have gone very well. So I wanted to make a an African style barbecue sauce. So I played around with Kansas City style barbecue sauces, which are tomato based. Um, and generally have uh, used black molasses as, as ingredients. And I wanted to use the spices, which are most associated with biltong, which is uh, oh, I love biltong. Uh, a, bit, a bit like beef jerky. Uh, it's a, a very popular way of eating meat here. Um, but the spices are coriander and coriander seeds and coriander powder and black pepper and salt um with a bit of sweet, so it's a, it's a, it's our local take on. Oh, that sounds on great. the barbecue, and one is one was going to be really spicy, and the other one is pretty mild. Um, I wanted also mm. to make something that's on the mild one that my children would eat for once, because <laughs> so far they don't tuck into the chili sauce yet. Pretty exciting. When do you think that it might be available here, or am I pushing? Am I pushing my luck here by asking? <laughs> No, I think we, we we're aiming to have someone to the UK within the next three months or so. It's um, COVID has been a, a bit crazy on on the shipping side. We've seen our our shipping time go from thirty days to I think the last container took seventy two days. So it's um, hopefully going to be coming improving over the next while. It seems that we might be leaving this COVID situation. And so we're hoping that that will change. Yeah, definitely. We've had some announcements here in the UK about the the road to recovery, so to speak. I think that from reading it, by June, we will be able to be meeting with our friends and families and having barbecues and all of the things that the summer is wonderful for. So it may well be that your your barbecue sauce arrives just in time. Just in time. (laughs) For all of that. Excellent. For the big party. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, I will be buying it because I love barbecue sauce. And and, and as I say, I have really enjoyed trying your sauces. And I, I don't do things that I don't like. If I like it, then it comes on the podcast. So yeah, a big thumbs up from me. Thanks. Thanks, Alex. So Rob, we are rapidly running out of time. And it's been an absolute joy. I, I, I think you're the you're the furthest flung guest that I've had on the podcast to date and I think I'll probably be hard pushed to find someone further or certainly someone who is in such a remote location but it's been absolutely fascinating well thanks it's it's actually it's nice speaking to people from out out there on the other side <laughs> on yeah it is isn't it it is thanks Alex thank you thanks very much it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. There are over 50 other episodes available for you to listen to. But if you find that you've already heard them all and want something new and a little bit different, head over to my Patreon page, 
For just £2 a month, you can become a subscriber and access bonus episodes recorded with my friends, my family, that really, that throw caution to the wind, bear all, and just really are a little bit of a laugh. In the first episode, we talk about everything from our favourite kebab toppings to why whole grain mustard is the Instagrammer's mustard of choice. These episodes are a little bit of a laugh and a chance to hear a little bit more about me and my love of food. So if you fancy listening to that, head over to patreon.com slash at the source and you'll see how you can sign up. Remember, I'm also on social media, so feel free to give me a follow on Instagram or Twitter at at the source. And yeah, until next time, over and out.